All right, everybody, welcome to the Grab Eyes podcast. I am your co-host, John Vargas, and uh, it's just me today. Uh, Trevor had to work, and we had this opportunity to interview our newest guest today, and just the way things lined up, um, it just, it's just going to be me and Sean, so I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, just for our, our disclaimer, everything we say and do does not reflect the City of Los Angeles Fire Department. And just to continue with some of our endorsements, um, one of them is going to be uh, Bud's Odyssey. And Bud's Odyssey came to me through um, another person who just was talking about TBI, traumatic brain injury. And they want to treat firefighters, first responders, and veterans who have had issues with this. And if you will, if you are interested or know anyone who has issues with TBI, it's, it's free. It's a free program that is uh, funded by people who... Uh, sponsor the program and also donate. Uh, so you can go to budsodyssey.com and reach out. And it is fascinating the way they they treat um, people with TBI. It's a, a really, really great program I'm involved in now. And I'm still learning about the ideas and the concepts about brain neuroplasticity and neurofeedback and altering brain waves from alpha to theta. Really fascinating stuff. So like I said, budsodyssey.com. Go ahead and reach out, email them, and they'll get back to you very soon. I was fascinated how quick it was. Um, the next one is uh, we are endorsing uh, uh, Treat California. And Treat California is an agency that wants to treat firefighters, first responders, veterans with psychedelics. And the way they do it is through a therapeutic program. And it's, it's highly, highly, um, I would say, not marketed, but they want to find ways and how to treat PTSD and the suffering that's being caused by the people who serve our country. They've been finding just enormous exponential results from these treatments that they've been having and seeing with some of these medicines that they've been testing um, in labs and also using um, different patients who have had some serious issues with suicide ideation and so forth. So you can donate through treatcalifornia.org. And also, uh, you could sign their legislation. Um, other than that, that is our two endorsements. And today, we have Sean Forster. Uh, Sean's a really good friend of mine. And I met him through another friend. Um, amazing person. And every single time we meet, we just can continue talking about everything from health to wellness to behavioral health to self-development to spirituality. It goes on and on and on and biohacking. Um, Sean's always been a person in my corner where I can just reach out to him and ask a question about something because he's so knowledgeable about so much. And I'm really honored to have him as a friend and also a guide in my life. Um, so he has his master's degree in counseling clinical mental health and also is a master Campbell practitioner. Um, amazing uh, with that. And also he is also a breathwork facilitator. And there's so much we can get into, but he's also been treating um, other firefighters from our department, other firefighters from other departments with understanding trauma and understanding your intrapersonal awakening with those things and really guiding through just therapy and the counseling that's involved with it. It's just an arduous process. And he's there as a person who's been having outreach for members in our department. And 
I'm really, really, really excited to interview him today. And yeah, so thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Of course. So I think the the topic we kind of were surrounding or, or, or just kind of talking about last week was um, what trauma is, you know, and your understanding of trauma and what we are discovering as like a united whole, what trauma is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such like a intricate subject. And I don't know, dude, I'd love to hear your perspective on what that is and the the things you've seen um, within, you know, the, the people in our line of work with, with that. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think the most obvious thing that I see when it comes to working with first responders and working with firefighters is there's a lot of exposure to what we call shock trauma, mm-hmm. um, which is an event that is kind of a one-off event and it's really difficult to comprehend and understand, but the body has this felt experience of like maybe fear or terror or confusion and, um, and not having a way to kind of process the emotions, um, or make sense of the experience, uh, which can lead to some sense of dysregulation in the nervous system that can perpetuate into anxiety, into depression, into symptoms of PTSD and, So I think that shock trauma is something that's commonly talked about when it comes to working with firefighters and first responders. But I think one thing that I, that I have noticed is that there hasn't been a lot of discussion around complex interpersonal trauma. And this is the trauma that occurs from birth. Um, and and in some cases occurs inside the womb as the nervous system is developing. Um, and so that complex interpersonal trauma occurs over and over and over and over again. And so we get these layers of traumatic experiences that are a little bit, I don't want to say as, I don't want to say smaller, um, but they're, they're not as pronounced as say a shock trauma experience. And, you know, I think with these first responders and firefighters, there isn't a lot of conversation around relationship and there isn't a lot of conversation around how relationship has impacted us and how relationship has impacted our capacity to deal with difficult emotions or difficult circumstances, whether they be professional circumstances, um, life circumstances, relational circumstances, and, um, and our capacity really to, to manage distress is is shaped in those early lived experiences yeah dude so it's funny you bring that up because um you know i went to the peer support group conference and amazing place where there was just counselors doctors therapists um from all over the country um ready to treat you know this complex situation and Mm -hmm. an issue for firefighters first responders veterans right Mm mm-hmm and something they, two things that they had mentioned. One of them was uh, right now they're looking at a biological, psycho, social, mm-hmm. spiritual approach mm-hmm. towards wellness. Mm-hmm. That's a complex thing. Mm-hmm. And they're compartmentalizing those things mm-hmm. and how to treat the situation. Mm-hmm. It is so complex. But the way they, they said that, it was so wonderful. And it revolved around that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was that they were describing what trauma it could be as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had amazing speakers who were just going off and telling their, 
you know, their upheavals in life and the way they've overcome them and stuff. But the main theme was like, okay, you have this, you can have an isolated traumatic experience in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Many people go through this and they, they get through it, right? They have this resilience to overcome it. The other piece was that they had described something called micro paper cuts. Mm. And so you're, you're looking at trauma through small incidences that may not come off as like a huge traumatic experience, but if you are, are living life with a bunch of paper cuts on your body, that shit hurts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so absolutely. That's one other thing that I was like really looking at was those micro paper cuts. Mm-hmm. Okay. That shit hurts, you yeah. know, and it bothers you. Right. And those are small wounds, but when you have a bunch of them, you know, that's a really serious issue. What I, I think is equaling burnout. Mm-hmm. And is equaling up into like the suicide ideation mm-hmm. stuff that we're not really seeing is what's leading up into what that is, right. you know? Right. So really cool that you're about that one out for sure. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that analogy of like micro little paper cuts, like over and over and over again, you know, it's like death of a thousand cuts and, you know, it, and what you're talking about, where it leads to it, it does lead to those those unhealthy strategies to kind of cope. Um, and it does lead to suicidal ideation. Um, and those unhealthy strategies to cope can look like stepping into unhealthy relationships, toxic relationships that have, um, codependent behaviors. Um, or it could look like completely isolating and being, and being hyper independent and pushing everybody away. Um, which, you know, I was just listening to something by uh, Dr. Peter Levine, and he was talking about, um, and I, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but when we're kind of isolated away from connection in our group, you know, um, that feels like death. Yeah. You know, and in, in, in primates, you know, if, if a primate is not, and this comes, this is what Dr. Peter Levine was saying, if primates are not behaving in a way that's in accordance with um, the group, they start to ostracize that one individual. And if that individual can't attach to a new social group um, or a new family unit, that that individual is going to wither away and die because they're missing connection and they're missing support. Um, so I find that really interesting, like how those little cuts can lead to those coping strategies of withdrawing, isolating, and what that leads to internally inside of ourself. And then on top of it, like you said, the suicidal ideation and substance abuse and, and, and things like that, gambling. So, yeah, dude, it's, it's interesting. Like a lot of people correlate like how humans interact with the animal kingdom. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know why we've come across this concept that humans are superior to that, you know, to other animals and, and they've lost the idea that we're actually connected to them. Mm-hmm. And we are not superior to the laws of nature mm. because we are actually connected in a, in a way that we've lost connection with, which yeah. is what's in turn, this is where we're at right now. Right. Right now it's turned into a concrete jungle. Right. And there is so much dysregulation with that, that concept, you yeah. know, and, um, and even, I mean, I've studied indigenous, um, just different tribes and, and ideas from so many different people from all over the world for, and their ancient traditions are all set back for thousands of years. 
And when I came down to this concept is like America really has, doesn't have an ancient civilization that supports it. You know, the native Americans were here and we desecrated them. Let's Mm. just be honest with that. And we've lost connection with them. Right. Um, But they knew the land, they knew everything about it and they've established like their own ancient cultures and understandings with that. So going into this concept with understanding trauma and things like that, um, you know, there's, there'd be like a medicine man of a tribe, Mm -hmm. right. Or, Mm -hmm. um, the tribal leader and they were, um, they were, they had a responsibility to support the people, Mm -hmm. um, with medicine. Mm -hmm. And some of those would be what you would be called a shaman. Mm -hmm. And that idea is like, so misconstrued. Um, people think it's like a witch doctor or whatever. Not true. It's Mm -hmm. usually the medicine man of the tribe. Mm -hmm. And I came across just different books um, in that I was introduced into shamanism, understanding what it is. And what a shaman will do is actually go into someone's subconscious mind Mm -hmm. with the beat of a drum. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really fascinating the way they can do this. Mm -hmm. And so what they can do is um, they call this thing called soul retrieval. Mm -hmm. And what they say is the way uh, a shaman or a medicine man interprets trauma is that sometimes when you go through, uh, like you talk about like uh, that shock trauma, mm-hmm. they say uh, that your body will, will uh, your spirit will leave your body mm-hmm. in that instant. Yeah. And so what they say is that a piece, a piece of you is missing sure. because of that. Sure. And so they can take you into this thing called soul retrieval right. where they can retrieve that piece back for you, right. which I found to be like so crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's wild to see some of these things that um, that I've come across with trauma and understanding it. And the only reason I bring that up is because you know there's I believe that trauma stays in the cells at a cellular level. Sure. And when we don't understand that, and we just think yeah, you know, um, some of the alternative medicines and Western medicine have just been treating the psychosis of it, right? But not going into the root of the problem, right? Um, and I know you do certain tools and things like that to help someone get into the body sure. and understand, hey, where is this coming from? Sure. So I love to hear how you do that, man. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, before I even get into that, I think you bring up some really good points. And, and I love that you're, you're kind of tying in indigenous culture into this. Because the big thing that you brought, brought up was that traumatic experience results in disconnection. And it, it's resulting in, one, this disconnection from self. And in psychology, we can call it dissociating, we can call it derealizing, disconnecting from reality, um, or depersonalizing. Um, and so that, that part of the soul leaving the body is that in psychology. Um, and so there's this, this result in disconnection. And, you know, going back to complex interpersonal trauma, and those tiny little cuts, right? So interpersonal meaning relational trauma, um, trauma that is in, that is endured through the relationships inside of a family unit, inside of a social group, um, and those types of traumatic experience result in disconnection via shame. And uh, you know when we start to experience shame we start to lose connection to our authentic self, to our true self. And we start to adapt functioning that will help us try to stay in connection with the 
family unit or the social group because if we're disconnected from them going back to the primates that equals death and so i think it's it's uh you know i think it's it's relevant to to really touch on that concept of connectedness and you know in our culture there's this pandemic of separateness um dr dan siegel talks about this he he I just read his book like not too long ago called Interconnected, and he and he blends a lot of indigenous uh, belief systems and practices in with Western psychology, and he he kind of uh, he talks about this term intraconnected, um, where we're connected to everything, and he kind of coined this term. I don't know how to pronounce it if it's M we or we, but it's M as in me, but we as in us. And it's understanding this relationship of reciprocity, understanding that we are, and this is indigenous culture, where we are in relationship with the land. Um, we are in relationship with the, the weather. We are in relationship with each other. Um, we are in relationship with animals. And how can we live in harmony um, with those elements? And, you know, when we start to going back to to shame when we start to experience shame at a young age and we start to lose that connection you know i think part of the the healing process is going back and reconnecting with those parts of us those parts of us that experienced disconnection those parts of us that we had to that we had to either suppress or dissociate or disconnect from in order to survive and stay connected to the social group yeah dude i mean humans are resilient no matter what you can and you can work through this um and and recover but it's just there's you're gonna have some dysregulation with the nervous system and all these different things that come up where someone later down the road is gonna be like i need help yeah right and we if we honor the resilience part you know the other side of that is like you have to kind of surrender into the experience of going deep sure and discovering sure. you know what what is the root cause of what why you're feeling this way right and i love how you bring up like you know how you see like this primate that's in this tribe right mm-hmm. and it's exercised from the the tribe and then ultimately we'll find his demise mm-hmm. you know there's a this concept that uh, a mentor of mine had told me when i was injured and it's about huskies a pack of huskies would you know carry the sled and when one of them would get injured it would have to be off on the side Mm -hmm. and not be able to run with the pack Mm -hmm. now this husky couldn't do that because all he knows is to be with the tribe Mm -hmm. so as the pack would take off with the sled the husky would run parallel Mm -hmm. until it would die Mm -hmm. because it doesn't know any better Mm -hmm. And that really hit home with me and mm-hmm. it spoke to me in such a different way because I was stuck at home mm-hmm. with an injury mm-hmm. and I wanted to go back to work. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was cut off. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of guys who or men and women who are injured, yeah. they're the ones who struggle uh, deeply with behavioral health yeah. and because they feel like they're cut off, right? they're stuck at home. Right. And let's say that you know they're, they're dealing with something else at home as well. Let's yeah. add that to the, to the plate. Yeah. And now you're dealing with something serious. Yeah. And it's, um, there's just so much to it. You know yeah, what I mean? I think you're bringing up something fascinating to me, something that I've experienced, and I'm sure you could shed more light on this because I don't have firsthand experience. But, you know, inside the department, 
mental health is not normalized. Yeah. And so if you're dealing with some sort of physical ailment, yeah, ultimately it's going to affect your mental health and you're going to be on the out group. But is it kind of this idea of like out of sight, out of mind? Um, are, is there a lack of support around mental health inside of the department? Is it talked about? I mean, are there enough resources? You know, I think I, I, the facility that I worked for, you know, it was, it was wonderful that they were creating an environment that specialized in treating first responders and firefighters, um, mostly firefighters. And so it was very special to kind of be a part of that and to create a safe space where you guys could come in and normalize your experience and not have to hide it, not have to be embarrassed about it, not have to feel shame around, I'm struggling. Um, and this is what I'm struggling struggling with. So yeah, I, I mean, man, I'm sorry that you felt that way <laughs> during your injury. And um, But yeah, I'm curious just to hear from you what that experience is like inside the department and having that type of support. Well, now that I've kind of been more involved with the behavioral health side of things recently, it's like, um, it's very common, yeah. you know, it's a common theme and that's mm-hmm. why it was nice to have a mentor who is speaking to me in that way Yeah, because I didn't understand it. Sure. You know, it, um, on top of that, it was just, uh, it was, there was more to what I was dealing with. I was yeah. dealing with a, a serious head injury that yeah. kept, you know, adding more to my plate, you know, mm-hmm. cause I couldn't do certain things which limited me even more. Sure. Um, but going to this concept, you know, that's part of the medicine we speak of is bringing unity to the department because mm-hmm. we are a giant tribe. Right. And within that giant tribe, there's small sectors of smaller tribes. You right. know, it's like having a big piece of land with acreage with mm-hmm. the tribe or whatever. Then mm-hmm. you have small huts with, you know, smaller communes. Sure. And that's basically how our department is set up mm. because of how big it is. Yeah. And like I could show up to work and never meet someone in my department for the rest of my career. Oh, wow. Because it's that big and it's mm-hmm. spread out over a large horizon of, you know, piece of land, really. Mm-hmm. And including the population that's increasing in LA. Um, you know, so a piece of that is bringing the tribe together and acknowledging there is no shame in seeking help. Mm-hmm. And when you're seeking help, all you're doing is you're gathering tools to learn how to cope with yeah. whatever it is yeah. that you may come across. Mm-hmm. And that shame is, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is just, um, it's a paradigm of looking at yourself and feeling like something's wrong, like mm-hmm. something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And that creates an identity crisis for some mm-hmm. when that's not true. It's right. just, that's just an old way of thinking. Right. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you and I had talked a bit about shame and like the discovery of just that word, that emotion. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's really, really deep, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, before we kind of jump into the shame part, you know, I, what I was kind of thinking about as you were talking about the departments is, you know, it sounds like there's, there's a culture of just business as usual. Right. And, you know, and I've talked about this with some of the guys, uh, in those, in the facility that I worked at where, you know, in a way you have to be robotic. Um, and you can't, 
you can't allow emotion to interfere with your job because that puts you at risk. It puts your gut, the guy next to you at risk and, um, you could potentially lose a life that you're trying to save. So, you know, it's, it's important to kind of be robotic and do the business as usual, uh, behaviors, but where does that leave space for the emotional experience and the felt experience in your job? You know, I'm not saying be emotional inside of what you are doing, but can you create space at the end of a shift, at the beginning of a shift, on an, on an extra work day or an off day to prioritize the emotion, your emotional felt experience and, and your mental health um, so that you can show up um, to perform your job and show up to be better inside of your relationships. Um, so I think that was just kind of occurring to me. But yeah, I mean, going back into to shame, you know, shame is such a complex thing. Um, and it, it, it feels like death because it feels like it, we are going to be ostracized away from the one thing that is most important to us. And that's connection. That's relationship. And, you know, some of the ways that we experience or internalize shame. Well, first let's kind of clarify what shame is. You know, shame is this belief that something is wrong with me. I am bad. Um, I am not enough. Um, I am broken. Uh, and so it's this belief that becomes internalized through our social interactions, right? Going back to what you're talking about, biopsychosocial, like through our social interactions, through our interpersonal interactions. And it's often perpetuated through things like physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, verbal abuse, uh, spiritual abuse. Um, and so when we start to ex sexual abuse, uh, when we start to experience these various types of abuse, somebody else's shame is being projected onto us. We start to internalize it as it's our fault. We're bad for experiencing this. And we start to take on this identity of a wounded self, a broken self. And in order to cope with the stress of the wounded self, the broken self, it leads to what we were talking about earlier about uh, addiction, substance abuse, um, gambling, um, sexual addiction, interpersonal issues. Um, and, you know, that that's more of interpersonal shame inside of like what you would maybe experience in a family unit. And then it kind of happens all over again when you start to get into adolescence, right? Where it's like, you want to identify so bad with your social group um, and your peers. And if you start to experience rejection um, from your peers, you know, you start to develop these beliefs about yourself that something's wrong with you. Um, and even at work, you know, in sports culture, you know, there's so much shaming that, that, that happens where, um, where we start to believe 
something's wrong with us. And then we start to, I've experienced this and I I know a lot of the guys that I've worked with where it's like, okay, if I could just be the best at what I do, then I don't have to look at my shame. And so we develop these patterns of perfectionism, you know, or it's like, if I could just be the best ball player, if I could just be um, the best at my position and, and get promoted to the next position, then um, I'm doing a good job. I'm lovable. I'm valuable. Um, people appreciate me because I'm good at what I do instead of just being appreciated for who you are um, as a person and your character. Yeah, I mean, that's so powerful to to harness your willpower to decide I'm perfect as I am. Yeah. And acknowledge your imperfectness. Yeah. And the beauty in that yeah. is um, it is not identical to anyone else. Right. And if you can discover that for yourself it, that is the biggest gift you can have yeah. in your journey of life yeah and i've had the opportunity to understand shame for myself yeah. and you know it really goes back to my own childhood yeah. right where i was introduced into guilt sin sure with myself sure and that was the belief system that really surrounded my idea of shame yeah because I was taught that I'm going to go to hell for something. Mm. And because of that, you know, there's, there's like a correlation to my behavior that led me to have this relationship with shame. Mm. And so when I looked at my core wound of shame and instead of pushing it aside or sweeping it under the rug, I began to make a relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful thing about some of this awareness as, as you expand it, you learn to have relationships with things instead of, treating it as if it's like a leper in a tribe and ostracizing it. And so as I looked at shame and I treated it like my guru and I I began to see my guru show up in so many different ways in the form of shame. And as I began to gear this uh, relationship with it, I began to find the beauty in it. And the more I found the beauty in something that that I disliked my entire life, the way I thought or I believed in myself, with this relationship, it began to show me things and become my greatest teacher. Sure. And I think through that experience, I mean, it took a lot of guts to look through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the same token, it was like looking at a kaleidoscope, you know, in so many different directions, it was teaching me something different about sure. myself mm-hmm. that truly built, um, in the end, humility mm-hmm. with myself. Mm-hmm. And with the the shame and the correlation with it, it, um, it showed me the belief system underneath that that was supporting it, mm-hmm. which is the core of the issue. Mm-hmm. And then underneath that was my identity. Mm-hmm. And to truly harness in with the anchor of my identity mm-hmm. and not be kind of distraught or distorted with it, yeah. I began to find my true power and harness like that power of my human spirit, yeah. which has led me into you know where I'm at today. Yeah. Um, and you know, different things and in, in, in different relationships with it have led me into you know where, I, where I've discovered um, so many different ways I've been able to harness that. Mm-hmm. And it only came through different circumstances and relationships mm-hmm. um, that I had to look at mm-hmm. and, and, and see myself yeah. um, through, and usually other people are the ones who pointed it out. Yeah. Right. And that's where I really had to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating how, you know, our, our core interpersonal wounds from childhood get reflected back to us in our interpersonal relationships as adults. Mm. Um, but I want to go back to what you said about your relationship to shame. You know, when you were talking about being in relationship with your being in relationship with your shame, 
I got chills and it just brought a smile to my face. And that to me feels like the essence of healing and transforming that shame into something more mature, more of an adult-like perspective, um, and more of like really a, a heart-centered um, approach to working with your healing, um, to be in relationship with it. And I think the other thing you, you acknowledged was, you know, having the courage to look at it, um, be humbled by it. And I think what I was also hearing inside of that too, is like growing this capacity to just feel what that shame is holding. Um, and I think that's another important element of that healing process is, uh, being able to feel it, feel what comes up with it, feel whether it's anger, feel whether it's grief. Um, and just, can you allow yourself to, to experience those feelings around it? Um, and then also understand the beliefs, um, that are attached to it, uh, so that you can move forward and be different inside of your relationships that are reflecting back where the issue is. Um, so yeah, I love that. I, I love this concept of how do I relate to my shame? How am I relating to, to my shame? Am I dismissing it? Am I invalidating it? Am I getting frustrated with it? Um, or am I looking at it with compassion and curiosity and am I making space for it? Um, am I making space for it to be felt? Am I making space for it to be understood? You know, it's, there, there's terms out there of like reparenting, right? Terms like that, or like doing inner child work, um, things like that. You know, you referenced going back and looking at this, this inner child that you had, you know, and, and how do you, it's a part of you. It's not, it's not necessarily you and your true self, but it's a part, it's a version of you that you kind of created along the way and you've been kind of carrying along with you. Um, and if you're dismissing him, he's like a young kid. If you're not giving him the attention he needs, he's going to be nagging at you for attention. And, and that's going to come out in all those unhealthy behaviors that we were talking about until you actually give him the attention he needs. Um, and so, I mean, you can, I often do this with, with the people that I work with is, you know, if, if they're having a hard time looking at it in that lens of like a part of me or my inner child, I say, okay, like if, if your child was coming to you and telling you that you were angry, that they were angry or that they were sad, would you tell them just to get over it and like suck it up? Or would you try to be present with them and make space for them to be seen and loved and cared for inside of their felt experience? And often, more often than not, when I reflect that back, people are like, yeah, I would, I would want to show my child love and compassion and care. It's like, okay, well, why don't we do that to ourselves? Why don't we show ourselves that compassion or show our parts? More importantly, show our parts that compassion and curiosity for what's going on. Why is it? Why are you feeling this way? Where is this coming from? Right? And, and it, from what I'm hearing you say, like that was your work around um, dealing with this particular aspect of shame that you were working through. So that was beautiful. Yeah. I, you know, I, I go into seeing life differently now because I see things as like a, a mirror. 
mm-hmm. with everything that comes across my path. And if there's something that I, I don't um, necessarily, if there's a circumstance that, appro- that approaches my, my path, mm-hmm. I see it as a lesson. And it, I always see things as it, it's teaching me something. Mm-hmm. And if, if I took it from a different perspective, I would be struggling with the same lessons over and over and over. And it's yeah. going to show its face mm-hmm. in a different form. Mm-hmm. So there's this famous um, quote by Lao Tzu. He's a Taoist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was um, the lesson or the, the teacher will come to the student when he is ready. Mm. And the teacher will leave the student when mm. he is ready. Yeah. And, you know, for shame, it was a, a lesson that went down to childhood, you know, and there's, yeah. there's a, there's a deeper story to this lesson with shame that sure. um, later in the, in the podcast uh, career, I'll, I'll definitely share. I'm just not ready yet. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, a lot of this came to the forefront, um, during my, my upheaval, mm-hmm. um, with being at home and, and looking at myself because mm-hmm. not, not only did I have to deal with the injury, but I was stuck at home by myself Yeah, and I began to open up my consciousness by uh, using meditation. Mm. Um, and when I did that, a lot of things came through and I began to look at myself yeah. uh, in a different way in a yeah. different form. Yeah. And all it was, was just me being with me yeah and i think the biggest um i guess thing we could teach is if you do your own work by sitting with yourself whether it may be journaling yeah uh, you do certain practices that is the thing that we're we're instilling within at a micro level yeah that you make the change with yourself and to look at yourself honestly and when you do that you really make a ripple effect within uh, your community within your family within your relationships And because we cannot do things at a macro level right now. Right. Um, and I always use this famous quote, um, to tend within the garden, that's within your reach. Mm. Because that's all you can do. Mm. And you don't want to overwhelm yourself. Mm-hmm. And over a period of time, by by doing that, I began to see my relationship with my wounds. Yeah. And with my mother and with my relationships. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, I began to really transform my life in so yeah. many different ways. Yeah. So the other side of this is that, um, you know, there's this book called the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. And so I truly believe, you know, even based off this book, it's just one of the books that I have read that has gone into the idea that Mm -hmm. trauma is trapped in this, in the cells. Mm -hmm. And this uh, neuroscientist, he he basically studies people who've gone through traumatic incidences in their life and realize that the body will hold yeah these entrapments of yeah. an emotion that right. is that is deep right and on unless you go into that emotion within mm-hmm. the body um you are going to be kind of uh, leaving that in an entrapment within yourself yeah, yeah. it does take a lot of courage sure. um, to go into it sure. but he was he was studying like the neuroplasticity of the human brain mm-hmm. and how it would rewire around yeah. going into it sure and you were able to release certain things and the kind of um, kind of reverse any type of like psychotic behavior mm-hmm. by just um, analyzing mm-hmm. the traumatic incident sure. and then going from there and, and, and really honoring the fact that our bodies are super complex. Yeah. Um, amazing, amazing book. I mean, I don't want to give it away, but it's, if you guys ever get a chance, the body keeps a score. And this book was brought up at that conference as well mm-hmm. to understand that things at a cellular level are sure. being entrapped, you know, sure. Um, so that leads into like the different practices. I know yeah. you've done awake with breath work, right? You right. can go into a breath work ceremony. If anyone's ever experienced this or have seen breath work ceremonies, people 
can go into a psychosomatic space with themselves and mm-hmm. release certain things that are trapped within the body. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think uh, going back to what you were talking about earlier about in these indigenous cultures, the belief is that when trauma happens, the soul leaves the body um, or as we experience it as dissociation, you know, what we're doing in that experience it is we're trying to disconnect because it's too overwhelming and so when we kind of dissociate from that experience in the moment we are trying to shove that so deep into our unconscious so we don't ever have to experience that again and so it gets trapped like you're saying it gets trapped in the body and so we have we may have explicit memory where it's like very clear i remember this experience and then we also have these implicit memories and you know doing somatic work like you're talking about can help you get into those implicit memories and and honestly working with psychedelics um and and working with some other medicines like combo um combo is a very somatic experience and it puts you in the body in in new ways that you have never really been in your body um and the intelligence of that medicine it 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 will help kind of it'll go in and find where things are and it will bring it to your conscious mind um breath work in particular you know when when you start to drop into those breathing patterns it it kind of takes you out of the the subcortical part of your brain and drops you into your limbic system and into your emotional body and helps you start to access what those emotions are access those feelings and then once you start to touch those feelings it starts to send those signals up to the brain and then you can start to reprocess it um so doing things like breath work and um or maybe finding a practitioner that is that focuses on somatic experiencing which is the work of dr peter levine um doing emdr um eye movement desensitization reprocessing you know when when you start to do those that bilateral movement um it drops you into that emotional body and drops you into those memories and allows those memories to come up to that prefrontal cortex to be reprocessed to be understood and to be given new meaning um and ultimately find a sense of safety and security um inside of the body and inside of that memory so um yeah things like breath work somatic experiencing emdr these different medicines um can definitely help with with reprocessing um where that trauma is in the body dude there's so much to break down on what you just said yeah you know and I, I just to kind of break things down for people um and through my own studies i've i've learned the energetic body and i have this book called and the um the subtle body encyclopedia mm-hmm. and i studied this book when i was trying to heal my head mm-hmm. and i began to go deep into what how our body operates at a subtle level mm-hmm. And so just to break some of the stuff Sean is saying right now. So the way some of these ancient civilizations from the Mayans, from ancient China, from ancient Russia, mm-hmm. um, you know, they would break down this energetic body in the, this map they had created mm-hmm. um, 
they all were separate from each other and mm-hmm. they all came up with the same map. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are kind of uh, off, but you know, they still had the same concept mm-hmm. and basically this, this biological computer that we are built with yeah. um, has been honored for thousands of years by yeah. ancient cultures. Mm-hmm. And they truly understood the body mm-hmm. in this, in this way and form the way it presents itself. Yeah. So a layer of that, um, and I'm speaking of what, kind of Sean's talking about is this emotional body. Okay. So there's a layer on the field, this, this field that's around the human body. There's a layer called the emotional body. Mm-hmm. Okay. So within that layer, if you kind of look at like, um, the way you cut a tree, right. When you chop it down and it has these layers mm-hmm. in it from the center and it has these rings, rings going around yeah, it. Yeah. That's the same way our body is mapped out mm-hmm. energetically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and we go back to the same thing about connection. We are yeah. not superior to nature. We are built the same way. Yeah. And even going into things like the Fibonacci sequence, the way things are created, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, these things are all a part of this connection piece. Mm-hmm. So to understand that this that we're built like computers, okay, we have these intelligent centers of the body and intelligent pieces of the body that we don't see. Mm-hmm. But now they have these scientists that can that can actually measure these things. Mm-hmm. Like these, um, these centers of the energy centers of the body, you can, you can map them out yeah. and to see which ones are in balance, which ones yeah. are not in balance. Yeah. I don't want to get too far off, but, yeah. um, right now we have to see this, this quantum existence of who we are that yeah. we've lost with yeah. health. Yeah. Um, so doing the things like the, the somatic release of something, yeah. um, you're tapping into something that is super hyper intelligent. That's just waiting for you to enter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and right. it wants you to right. enter that space. Right. Um, there's just there's so much, dude, to go around with that. You know, you, you said something about, like, not being able to see it. And, you know, I think in certain cases you can see it. But before I get into that, I, I kind of want to talk about, like, this connection to the emotional body. You know, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, acupressure, right, works through um, energy lines called meridians. And those meridians are connected to our organs and they believe that our organ, our emotional body is held in our organs. And so in order to access the emotional body, they use acupuncture, acupressure to get into those energy centers to move either energy up or move either or move energy down if it's overactive to bring more balance back into the body. So, you know, there is a way we can see it and the way we can see it are these health issues that we're experiencing you know and yeah some of our health issues are exacerbated by what we're consuming um, and our environments but i would ask like how much of it is being impacted by our unprocessed emotion um, our unprocessed shame Hmm. Um, and you know there's there's a lot of research out there um, around you know unprocessed complex trauma um, showing up in autoimmune disorders Um, and then uh, and you know symptoms of like Lyme Um, and there's these a lot of the people that go into the doctors and the doctors have no explanation for them you know I've heard so many stories of like doctors can't diagnose me I don't know what I'm doing so people will start reaching towards alternative um, solutions and often those alternative solutions are like what you're saying when you when you were on your medical leave 
those alternative solutions are introspective and they're going to take you inward to start to understand what's happening emotionally um, and what you're still kind of carrying from the past in order for them to be um, reprocessed. You know, I have a, I have a friend who has Lyme and, you know, she was, she was, this is such a beautiful story. She was, uh, in, in some cases, she wasn't able to walk. And if she had enough energy to walk, she was using a walker, but she was mostly in a wheelchair. Um, and her Lyme symptoms were just so exacerbated and her immune system just couldn't fight and, um, and keep it inactive. And she started doing some work with combo and then she started doing some work with ayahuasca and combo combo helped kind of flush her, her system out. Um, and she was doing a lot of conscious work around combo, but when she started to, to sit with ayahuasca, um, it started to get her to look inward Mm -hmm. and started to look at her relationships to her mother, relationships to her father, and a lot of the trauma that she had endured growing up. And now she's surfing, she's running, she's hiking. Um, she's also a fellow combo practitioner. And so to see her, her progression from, you know, when I met her, she, she was on her combo journey and she was on a cane. And now I see pictures of her surfing. It's just incredible. Um, and a lot of that has to do with her doing the work to go in and look at her unprocessed emotional um, history and trauma. This leads me to another quote. And yeah. that quote is, um, the body will cry with the eyes refuse to shed. Mm. Now, in, in this concept you know and we go inward and we can discover um these entrapments um you really feel like you're in prison unless you look into it yeah and a lot of times i really feel like the pandemic that is occurring right now is that imprisonment Mm -hmm. and the moment you take the trust within yourself to awaken yeah to the beyond within yourself your inner matrix of who you are yeah you can find the pieces to the puzzle that are equaling the entirety of the whole. Yeah. And this is kind of like the concept of like cohesion. And you, you hear this word often uh, present itself because cohesion means that you're, you're linking up certain pieces that have already been connected before the dawn of time. Yeah. And, um, you know, going in back into the emotional body, I'd love to kind of depict this, this concept. Okay. When someone is super fearful, what happens? They pee themselves. Mm. So the in ch- traditional Chinese medicine, what they do is that they uh, have emotions that are attached to the organ. And what is the emotion that's attached to the bladder mm-hmm. and the kidneys? Fear. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense, mm-hmm. right? And so this this stuff that we're kind of exposing, it's not like we're exposing. It's not like we're just figuring this stuff out. Right. It's been already figured out. Right. And we're just now bringing to the surface like how important these pieces are to yeah. trauma, yeah. to emotional baggage mm-hmm. that we're carrying. And, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I'd followed this guy called Dr. Dan Engel, and mm-hmm. he was, uh, he's a doctor who um, had discovered um, how to treat his own concussion. I had one of his books called The Concussion Repair Manual, and it helped me recover. 
Um, and I kept following him and he works a lot with MDMA. Mm. And he told this beautiful story about this woman who used MDMA to work through her sexual trauma. Mm. Um, and, and she basically, the two therapists were, were sitting with the woman um, with this therapeutical uh, MDMA treatment. And she was able to see and work through things that she never would have done had it not been for this treatment of MDMA. Mm-hmm. And now she walks around like she's she's liberated from this experience that has been traumatizing her. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm pretty sure it was just like a, a brutal, brutal um, story about her being raped. Mm-hmm. And the story he, he goes about and, and just being a therapist to help her walk through that process was so just um beautiful and the way he 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 spoke um it was really powerful Mm -hmm. and so i think we're on this paradigm of understanding that these these things these medicines they help us discover uh the entrapments Mm -hmm. by digging through the subconscious yeah and we don't we have no idea yeah um exists yeah and you know it's it seems to be like this um this demonizing piece uh that has has left people um, believing in something because yeah. of uh, the the truth is out there with these medicines right. now right. Uh, that they can really assist. That's why I truly believe in endorsing Treat California because sure. I don't really believe everyone needs sure. uh, psychedelic therapy, but I believe some people do. Right. And you know why should we um, you know just keep something from someone from healing? Yeah. Because um, there's so many ways um, around you know putting on someone on antidepressants and blocking them. Yeah. From tapping into the self. Sure. Because like some people do require antidepressants for a period of time. Right. Just to stabilize. Right. Yeah. And, but some people don't realize like when you go to a doctor like there you know a lot of times this pharmaceutical industry they're they're using this as it means and we see across the board now that it's just it's just money and greed that has really become this epidemic and a pandemic yeah i mean one of my buddies was telling me that you can go on amazon and get a uh they have this um this medical insurance you can you can buy it's like 10 bucks a month right and now you can go um get telemedicine with this doctor and then you say hey i need some adderall all right, now they get a prescription for Adderall. Oh, and this wow. is a huge uh, epidemic with people just getting hooked on Adderall. Oh, wow. And let's just face it, Adderall is government-issued yeah. methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. It's one molecule away from sure. meth. Sure, um, And then let's say that person can't sleep. Okay, here's some Ambien. Here's some Xanax for right. you to go to sleep. Right. Just looking at that, that concept is mm-hmm. just tremendous to see like, okay, we're really um, dysfunctioning with, um, yeah. with what's going on yeah. here with eliminating the ability yeah. for someone to even seek themselves. Right. Um, you know, that's a whole nother ball game, but yeah. You know, I think what you're bringing up for me right now is like the distinction of, or really the importance of what these processes provide, you know, the importance of medication and taking mood stabilizers, for example, like are, are necessary and needed um, for some people and, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you need to be on it for the rest of your life. It just means that you might need it to stabilize your current situation because life feels out of control. And if you can kind of manage your inner experience with those types of medications, it can kind of help you sort through, um, the pieces without feeling too dysregulated, but you also, you also don't want to get to the point to where you're using medication like you're describing with this with with ADHD and Xanax in these these telehealth companies 
you don't want to you don't want to switch medication um for alcohol or alcohol for medication you know what i mean if you're abusing alcohol or if you're abusing substances to escape yourself but you're like oh well i can just call this telehealth company and they can give me adhd and give me xanax well you're just what's the lesser of two evils you know you're just replacing one for the other um but i think more importantly it's um finding the path for you and then looking inward and asking yourself the questions because everything that I'm that I've heard from you today and and you know and and this is my belief it, and you heard me talk about curiosity earlier is like how can we get to pl- a place to where we start to look inward with curiosity and look inward with compassion and so you know psychedelics aren't for everybody um, medication traditional Western medication is not for everybody um, but there is something out there for you. And it might take you a while to find it, uh, but ultimately, once you start to find it, can you use it in a way that helps you find that relationship and that connection back into yourself so that you can be back in relationship and connection with the world around you and the people around you? Tremendous, dude. I mean, uh, even going into Kambu or Kambu, you know, I've spoken on how, uh, you know, that medicine saved my life. Yeah, you know, and, uh, same. It, um, the way I came across it was, so the story, um, with Cambo or Combo is that, um, you know, my, my girlfriend, Haley, um, my lifetime partner, she introduced me to Cambo and she kept telling me when I had my concussion, Hey, come do Cambo. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And so the story behind that is that, um, she was doing, um, yoga teacher training with our friend Stella. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stella had some serious um, medical issues that she was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the woman she had met was doing Cambo. Uh, she had PCOS mm-hmm. and endometriosis mm-hmm. and was working with Cambo. Mm-hmm. And her story was so profound. Um, so she ended up working with Cambo and basically Cambo um, reversed all her PCOS where mm-hmm. she went to get a pap smear um, and they took a look inside of her cervix and the doctor said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. There's no issues here anymore. I don't know mm-hmm. what you're doing, but mm-hmm. keep doing it. She's mm-hmm. like, well, I've been doing Cambo. Mm-hmm. And the doctor was just like, oh, it's tremendous. There's nothing here. Yeah. There's no yeah. more endometriosis. There's no more PCOS. Yeah. So that story trickled down to, to Stella um, and then trickled down to Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all had different um, entrapments with themselves at an yeah. emotional level that sure. ran so deep. Sure. But the beauty about Cambo is that, you know, this medicine has been used for thousands of years and the tribes who've been using it and have a relationship with it, they have a connection with it. Yeah. We keep speaking on that same, same concept of a connection mm-hmm. and relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, um, no, they, they kept it from society for a long time until, yeah. um, their, their, um, their rainforest was getting desecrated. Mm-hmm. And so the tribes had to do something about it. And so they started introducing Cambo to society. Mm-hmm. And now, um, Campbell International, um, the agency who has trained Sean and myself, um, they've been able to buy back over 500,000 acres of the rainforest. Mm-hmm. And so this is the same relationship and connection that we're having. We're giving back to the rainforest. And by mm-hmm. the same token, we're helping people heal with this medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to kind of break down Cambo from your perspective, um, I know there's so much to go in with it, yeah. but... Um, the trauma trapped in at a cellular level, uh, Campbell has this 
identity with doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about what that does. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, where, how do I begin that? You know, it, it works through our lymphatic system and it's filled with bioactive peptides. Um, and these peptides are um, occur naturally in our body. And so when, when they, they get flooded into our body, um, at the amount that they do, the body doesn't try to fight it off. It recognizes it. Um, and it just kind of opens up a detoxification process to move things in the body that don't really belong there. Um, and so it's a very purgative experience. Um, and so, you know, I think the most important part of, of that combo experience is, can you do it consciously? Mm-hmm. You know, we keep going back to like building the relationship with ourself and being in connection with ourself. You know, I've been in combo experiences where you just go in and you have an experience and you get the medicine on and you purge and you have this big cathartic release and afterwards you're like, I feel great. And you have the glow for a little bit. But then it's very easy to fall back into old patterns of behavior and old ways of thinking and, and old ways of relating. Um, and so I think it's really important that if you're going to do any sort of like trauma work or behavioral work or um, just pattern work, um, I think it's important to, to be very intentional about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, I, I liken the experience to, you know, the purge is like this release and it's creating space. And as you kind of release whatever it is that a a behavior or a belief system or an emotion, you know, if you don't fill that space intentionally, then the old thing is going to creep back in. Mm. Right. So I have to be very intentional about, okay, what do I want this? What do I want my life to look like on the other side of this? You know, this is what it looks like now. This is what's standing in the way. And it's caused by this traumatic experience that, that imprinted this belief system inside of me. And so as I work through that in my combo experience and I have that release and space is created within my mind, my body mind, um, or my mind body, you know, how do I, how do I want to look on the other side of this now? What behaviors, what beliefs, what thinking patterns do I want to have, um, and, and, and put into the space that I just created so that I don't revert back. Um, and so that, that's kind of my take on it. Um, you know, I think, I also think there's, there's a very mystical, kind of thing that happens with combo that you know there's not enough research out there for us to understand you know there's not there's no research there's no research um with combo and trauma work you know like what you share and what i share is from our lived experiences as recipients of combo and as practitioners of combo um so this isn't research-based this is just kind of lived experience um but i think what I would let people know is that if you're going to go into an experience like combo, or if you're going to go into experience like 
with psychedelics with the intention to heal make sure you go in with a bit of clarity in in terms of this is why i'm doing this this is what i want life to look like outside of it and then also make sure you're setting yourself up with proper support hmm. you know make sure you you have somebody there to help you prepare for your experience make sure you have somebody that helps you feel safe inside of your experience and then make sure that they're going to be there after your experience to help you integrate your experience um, and process your experience so that you're not left out there either re-traumatized by some experience um, or out there just having some cathartic release and not making any changes. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many pieces to this. Um, I think one of the main things is... Uh, with Cambo, I've discussed the conscious level as well. And when you add a consciousness, and all it is is intention, right? Sure. When you add that with a bit of your own work around what that means to you, mm-hmm. and you add that to a Cambo experience, yeah. it's like a synergistic effect. Yeah. It's like having two sticks of dynamite, mm-hmm. putting them together. Now you have a grand explosion. Mm-hmm. So that's one piece to it that I've always used. And, and as, as far as doing my training with, with Kembo or combo, um, that's what I've, I've, I've seen. Yeah. And, and also Kembo has been re- referred to as the great revealer mm-hmm. because it'll go into the subconscious mind and reveal things to sure. you. You may never know had existed sure. or things you've just swept under the rug. Yeah. And I can give a clear example for myself. I think I was sharing this with you is that I was doing Kembo recently doing a lot of work on myself i took a long break like about six to eight months just um, meditating and journaling and and all the stuff that i've been working on and when i did cambo had my expectations went beyond my understanding and i went through a different experience and what was brought to the surface is when i was in my cambo experience um, a thought came through my mind that i have a fear of being responsible for Haley and paisley Mm. and when i sat with that i just was like whoa that yeah. that is bizarre yeah, sure um and so the way i replaced it was like you know i truly accept sure. my responsibility with cambo sure. and then i purged right um and so when we take, speak of purging cambo makes you vomit yeah um it makes you defecate uh makes you cry mm-hmm. and it makes you um uh not cry but like weep yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. and I, I've, I've had full-on cry in, yeah. in my in my ceremonies so yeah and it's uh you know it's it's a powerful medicine um and also a deep sweat yeah you know, these are the ways you purge yeah um but when you're purging um you're having this release um it's beautiful yeah i've never felt that way in my life where i have able to yeah. let something go yeah and for my physical body have this yeah. visceral release yeah and have an acceptance for myself and mm-hmm. feel so clear mm-hmm. about a circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, I can even go and relate it to, you know, my, my betrayal wound I had for my father sure. that I worked with. Sure. And I, I ultimately came to this, this place with myself with forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that was like the, one of the most powerful moments I've ever had with mm-hmm. Cambo. Mm-hmm. And I think going into the idea of an emotion that was trapped mm-hmm. with betrayal I had, mm-hmm. Dude, I was able to let it go, and I yeah. really felt I closed a chapter with that. Yeah, and so that's the beautiful thing about this medicine as well is that, you know, it closes a chapter and opens mm-hmm. up something new for yourself. Yeah. 
For sure. Um, you know, I can go into another story about Cambo is that I, I was helping a, a police officer who'd been struggling with grieving her father's death mm. for years. Mm-hmm. And so she had trouble with relationships uh, for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she wanted to do Cambo to honor her dad's um, passing on mm-hmm. his birthday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's beautiful. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go through it. So after that, I know she's had trouble with relationships like on and off breakups. Um, and then she did Cambo. So after that experience, she's able to close that chapter, grieve yeah. her loss. Yeah. And then from there, now she's engaged. Yeah. And gonna get married. Wow. It was just really powerful to see the yeah. whole spectrum of that relationship yeah. she had from closing that chapter with Cambo. It was yeah. so powerful. Yeah. You know, you're bringing something up for me in this moment. Um, Cause I just recently had an experience um, or a couple experiences um, with various medicines and um, actually was just working with a client too um, in combo. And, you know, one thing that these medicines does that they do and, and what combo does is, you know, sometimes our psyche is so strong that it doesn't want us to go into the difficult feeling. And so with the right practitioner and with the right medicine, you know, they, they give you the gentle little nudge and create the space for you to go into the feeling that needs to be processed and emerged. Um, and, and allow that felt and somatic experience to be played out, you know, unprocessed grief is going to result in a sense of depression and hopelessness. And if, you know, it sounds like the gal that you were working with, you know, she, she answered that call and like felt that little nudge in her combo experience was able to move through her process of grief so that she could continue moving forward in her life. And now she's got all these beautiful blessings. So it's amazing. You know, I think the, (laughs) the client that I was working with yesterday She's like, what I just realized, I don't think I ever would have realized in years of talk therapy. And then I went and had a different experience and I was like, wow, that would have taken years of therapy for me to figure out. And I'm not saying therapy's bad. I mean, I am a therapist, right? (laughs) I think therapy works. Um, But sometimes these medicines give us a gentle nudge to let us know that like we're safe and it's okay to move in the direction that the psyche doesn't want to go. Yeah. The, the way, you know, it was described to me was like, uh, you know, something like Cambo is like, um, the railing on the side of a staircase Mm. and those missing steps Mm -hmm. that are there, that railing is there to help you pull yourself out past those missing steps. Yeah towards your path of healing and to recognize that it was assisting you, you know, it's not a magic bullet and Mm -hmm. nothing really is. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, it is the power of acceptance and forgiveness that gets you there. Yeah. And, and what takes you there is that surrender to that and and letting go. It's one of the hardest things to do because, you know, we get addicted to an old self, Mm -hmm. an old story of who we are. Yeah. And, the courage and the willingness that you can take with yourself to move forward mm-hmm. and, and not look back yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just, um, even going through 
certain things like EMDR and also processing things like going from alpha to theta brainwave states mm -hmm. does the same um, same circumstances. But I think these medicines access those things. Yeah. Um, I know when for for I know I've heard from someone doing ayahuasca like their eyes would move rapidly like mm -hmm. that is reprocessing trauma mm -hmm. um so these medicines are super powerful for mm -hmm. you to even go into that experience and mm -hmm. reprocess things mm -hmm. um not saying like it's for everyone like i had mentioned but you know these things are tools right not necessarily the answer right but you find your answers right <laughs> in those experiences right. i think i think i think you find answers and you find kind of guidance you know the real work happens after yeah um but i i think with these these alternative medicines you know one thing that i've experienced is that they grow your capacity to do the hard things mm. and you're able to sit with yourself in ways that you never thought you could sit with yourself and you're able to not only sit with yourself but you can sit with others in their healing mm. um and their difficult emotions yeah i mean the way to sit with someone when they're processing something um it's a really it's an honor to do so and to help someone work through a serious block and all your all i would do is just guide them mm -hmm. you know i'm not giving anyone the answers sure. to anything sure you know but i give them a little bit of uh, understanding with certain tools yeah. of how to access uh, that place that sits in the middle of your chest yeah which is our hearts mm -hmm. and ultimately that's that's how we are supposed to navigate our lives sure. which has been a lost art right um you know I, we did a drill on that with yeah. accessing the heart space and like after i did that drill um i had a lot of feedback from people yeah. other firefighters and they're like dude i don't understand what that meant yeah <laughs> and I was like, well, you know <laughs> going back to what you were talking about about like trauma and dissociating and being disconnected from the body um you know there are more neural pathways coming from the heart and the gut to the brain than there are from the brain to the heart and the gut. So we're getting more information from the body, but if we're disconnected from it, we're missing out on all that information. And so talking about what our intuition is, you know, part of your using your intuition is using your felt experience. But if you can't feel your heart, you're not going to make intuitive decisions for your true self. That's hard for our line of work. Yeah. You know, I think from my own experience, you know, I've been through so much, so many um, instances of burnout, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a means of me protecting myself when I'm going into an incident and dealing with a serious call. Yeah. Um, you know, I can give an example. Like I, I just, uh, I had a shift where I had to cook cause that's what we do. Yeah. And I was cooking for 14 people. Um, and I had a pediatric full arrest in the morning to start my day off. I saw the cook lunch oh. after and the, the whole pediatric full arrest was even, it was like a serious call where it was like, I had to get LAPD involved oh, wow. a serious, serious, uh, it ended up being some type of, um, criminal investigation oh. from there. I had to go cook lunch. And then from there I had to go, um, cook dinner. Mm -hmm. And then I had uh, some crazy call where some homeless person is jumping off the building. That call took like three, four hours, oh, wow. cook dinner. I get back to the to the station after another call and it was like a heart attack. Um, there were, that's a normal run of the mill. We just take someone, take them to the STEMI center, get them, get them uh, unblocked from their, their coronary arteries and then mm -hmm. go back to the station. Mm -hmm. um, I just remember at midnight, then I get a call for a huge behemoth of a fire in downtown Los Angeles. Mm. 
this was one shift that I had. Wow. And I remember going home, and this is when I used to drink. I was mm-hmm. so just depleted of energy, mm-hmm. and I just so, felt so just blocked with mm-hmm. myself. Uh, I took two shots of tequila, took a shower, and went to bed for 16 hours. Oh, wow. So this is the type of stuff that we deal with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in that incident, or that one shift, okay, over you know decades of running more calls you know yeah. i felt so blocked yeah. with myself for a long time yeah and that burnout i had crept in mm-hmm. and i would disassociate yeah um for a while right i mean it sounds like you just had to stay in fight you know your nervous system had to stay in fight and you never got to down regulate into a parasympathetic state to actually re-energize yourself so when you came home it sounded like you were just taxed and i mean dude i would my only way to dis to regulate my nervous system was to drink. Yeah. And that's a common thread yeah. within our line of work. Sure. You know, it's, it's like, um, the medicine that firefighters would use, you know, and yeah. then, um, as I began to do my own inner work, I began to realize how I can use tools to regulate my nervous sure. system, like breath work yeah. and doing a cold plunge. Yeah. Yeah. I think it brings up, I think it brings up two things. I think it brings up this idea of like, okay, how do I grow my capacity to manage this much load, this much allostatic load? How can I grow my capacity to manage this load? Um, And then also, what are my alternative healthy coping mechanisms and skills? Like you're saying, like doing some breath work, doing a 10 minute meditation throughout that day, maybe would have re-energized you for another few hours and kept you connected to yourself or doing an ice bath you know which is getting into an ice bath is definitely going to put you back into your body and then you're going to have not only all these emotional and and psychological benefits but like you're going to have a lot of physiological benefits from doing something like that too yeah so i think the biggest thing here is kind of like um leading off in the conversation is like what are the tools you know as a therapist or a counselor for someone um you know what are the things you provide in order to get in those states to where you can access, you know, a, a dysregulated nervous system and looking at yourself like and discovering, um, you know, those those lost pieces yeah. uh, through trauma or micro trauma incidences. Yeah. You know, I think I think the the simplest thing that I suggest, and this is something that I practice myself, is just journaling. But journaling without any sort of intention or out without any sort of expectation, it doesn't need to look a certain way. It doesn't even need to be legible. The grammar could be awful. Like you should see my journal. It looks like chicken scratch. But the whole idea is to get whatever's going on in my head out so that I can be present to what's what I'm feeling and be present to what's happening in the world around me. And so, you know, I think most of us walk around with all of our energy in our head and we're so in our head that's a thing people describe i'm just in my head i'm in my head it's like okay well get all that stuff that's in your head out and for me the best way to do that is to journal about it um and let go of expectation of what it's supposed to look like don't even reread it don't dwell on it just write it close your journal don't even look at it again um so i think that's one thing that helps um and then i think another Another thing that is really helpful in terms of coping is is movement. And everybody's movement can look different. Um, but I think what movement does is it, it creates a connection to the body 
And it also helps you become aware of what type of charge you're carrying in your body. Are you in a, in a state of fight? Are you in a state of flight? And as you're able to move that charge through movement, um, you might give yourself a chance to kind of process what that feeling is and be connected to the felt experience, the emotional experience, and start to create some um, understanding and release around it. And movement could look like exercising mindfully, like working out in the gym mindfully, like being connected to your body as you're working out. It could be yoga. Um, it could be as simple as going for a few mile walk or hike, you know? Um, so moving your body, but moving it mindfully, um, and with a, with the intention of connecting to self. Uh, so I think movement helps. Um, I think another way is another good way to build a relationship and to cope is to, um, develop a, a meditation practice. Uh, but I think meditation can be tricky because I think people will escape in meditation. I think people will sit in meditation to, and dissociate. They'll disconnect from those themselves and they'll disconnect from the world around them. So I like to use meditation as a way to go deeper, as a way to, and encourage people to, to go deeper in the relationship to themselves and using practices like using contemplative practices in meditation of like self inquiry. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? Or just naming the feeling and seeing where the thought goes. Um, and having that conversation and relationship to what the inner experience is. Um, so things like that work. Um, but yeah, basic things, you know, nutrition is, is another good one. Um, eat right. That's going to help you cope, right? Get your gut health, right? Um, if you get your gut health, right, that's going to help you manage your stress. Um, stay hydrated, um, get lots of sunshine and get lots of movement. Um, and be in a relationship, you know, be in, like, I think the best medicine you could ever receive is being in the presence of somebody who feels safe, who loves you, who cares for you, and who wants to see you be well and do well. Yeah, I think we've, we've spoken on a lot of practices on the podcast. And, you know, for me, my practices change. Yeah. And I don't focus on just one practice, sure. you know, and if I get stuck in doing a pattern of meditation every day, yeah, I need to change it up. Sure. And so I think if you keep the body guessing, it allows for like this, there's, um, you're kind of disrupting a bit of pattern sure. with that and sure. you're not disassociating with something. Right. And, you know, I think there are different medicines in the medicine bag sure. that you could use, sure. you know, and one of the things is I am intentional with playing with my girlfriend's daughter. Yeah. And I say, Hey, let's go outside and let's kick the soccer ball around mm -hmm. and I'll be barefoot ground grounding. Mm -hmm. Number one, I'm, yeah. I'm regulating my nervous system Sure, and I'm being intentional with her. Sure. And so that's just, that's just a, an example how, you know, I use something that is intentional and it doesn't have to be so abstract right. or has to be so esoteric or, right. you know, I think a lot of uh, firefighters get, um, they get drawn off from a lot of like, you talk about spirituality and things like that and meditating and conscious work. Yeah. They don't like that concept and it's because they feel like they're getting entrapped into like, uh, being sold something. Sure. Sure. And they're very skeptical about that. Yeah. So, um, 
just find an intention for something and change it up. You know, we know that um, for us and our biological self, when we're going into a cold plunge, that's going to help regulate your cortisol levels. And firefighters like to push the limit for, you know, um, I guess challenging themselves. So it's a great practice. Sure. Um, and I will switch it up from, from cold plunge to sauna from one week. You know, yeah. I don't always just do a cold plunge. Right. So, um, you know, for what Sean is saying is like, find the practice that works for you, which sure. has been our, our, one of our biggest messages. Yeah. Find something, man. And let it be an evolution too. Let it for change, sure. you know, that's, uh, such an important way you've put that because my meditation practice when I first started is not what it is now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even with my yoga practice, it's not what it is now. Sure. And, but it's a, it's a moment with myself that I honor myself in that moment mm-hmm. and I'm able to sit with myself to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do, I kind of use that concept with like the biological, uh, psychosocial, spiritual approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing it without those meanings to it, mm-hmm. but I was discovering like, oh shit, it's like, okay, how's my nervous system right now when yeah. I'm in it, when I'm doing a stretch with yoga? Right. Um, how is my mind right now? Right. You know, and how am I interacting with myself at a biological level? Yeah. That curiosity. Yeah. Right. And so I think when you, you when you spoke on curiosity, man, that really opened me up to. Um, how beautiful it can be when you uh, are curious. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you just sit back and enjoy the show, because yeah. that's what this is. Yeah. It's a show. Yeah. And if you can't take the moment to just sit back and just watch it and be enamored by the beauty of it all, then, um, you know, just work on it because yeah. it is all fun if you sure. think about it. Yeah. And I always go to the concept of the laughing Buddha mm-hmm. um, because, um, you know, that the laughing Buddha speaks to me because his enlightenment is laughter mm-hmm. and finding the humor in it all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be so serious. Right. And I think when you, when I've come across different books and things like that with gurus or spiritual teachers, they, they reach that level with themselves that yeah. it's humorous. There's an essence of play. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think that's, there's been a lost art in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so all, all the things we, we speak on, yeah. you know, ultimately firefighters deal with trauma on a daily basis and we are the protectors and there's an honor in that and protecting the community and protecting life and property. Mm. But if you cannot protect yourself and look at yourself, then what good are you doing? Yeah. You know, and, um, and my biggest thing for me is I don't want to take this home to my family because I don't want to traumatize the people in my home Mm -hmm. with my own shit Mm -hmm. you know i can't let that happen yeah you don't want to be the one giving the cuts instead of receiving the cuts (laughs) for sure man so i think if if the message here is you know for us all let's honor the fact that this is a very difficult job and career and we have the ability to stop it here with us yeah um and we can continue this work within and it takes time and it's precious and it's a, a very beautiful piece with with just understanding the self. Mm. And ultimately, this behavioral health epidemic that hasn't been occurring has just been uh, that, yeah. you know, tending the garden that's within your reach. Mm. And if you can do that, man, it's it really shows a uh, wonder with it all. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Man. Uh, so is there anything you want to share anything like that, Sean, before we, uh, kind of end this podcast episode? No, I'm just sitting here in gratitude and just super honored that you asked me to, to be a part of this. You know, I think 
what you're doing. You're on the forefront of, of changing the culture of, of what it means to be a firefighter and, um, and a first responder, um, in general. And, you know, I'm, I'm just honored to be sitting here and I'm honored to, to be a part of it. And, um, I'm honored to have had the opportunity to work with, with felt with firefighters like yourself. So, um, thank you so much. And, um, I really appreciate being here. So if someone wants to contact you, I know you have, it's your website usually or Instagram. Yeah. So people can reach out, um, directly if they're needing some sort of, um, counseling. Um, so my website is seanforster.com, um, S E A N F O R S T E R.com. Just my name. Um, and then also, um, can reach out on Instagram, um, Sean underscore M underscore Forster. Um, and yeah, through there, you can reach out via to inquire about combo. You can reach out to inquire about, um, counseling or just reach out to say hi. Um, love to, love to be a support in any way that I can. And you live in Utah. Yeah. So I, I, I spend most of my time in Salt Lake city, um, I do a lot of my, my counseling and coaching work virtually. So everything is telehealth. Um, and then I, I try to come back to California, um, about once a month to, to serve combo and do some other work, um, in my time here. So, um, yeah. So if, if you're needing some in-person work in the California area, I'm in here, I'm back here about once a month. Yeah. And I looked at your website and it has so much, to mm-hmm. navigate around, uh, like in how you provide a service, mm-hmm. and it's it's it was really cool to to witness mm-hmm. um, on that, and it's just there's a lot, you know, and yeah. it's it it can be um, for anyone really. It doesn't have to be just for first responders or yeah. anything like that. Um, yeah. So powerful stuff, dude. Thank you so much, dude. I really admire you as a friend, um, and also a fellow camel practitioner, and just yeah. all the stuff you do, man. Um, like I had mentioned before, you've been like. Um, person in my corner i can just go to for anything man i've learned so much from you yeah. um thank you for coming on brother it was a pleasure having yeah, you on it's an honor thank you so much our brother um i want to um just thank everyone for listening uh, to this episode and just um admiring um everyone doing this great work and we're all doing it together um and that's the biggest message i think too from um what we have to offer is like it's it has to be a unity a unified whole um, as we do this great work and, um, thank you so much for listening. Um, just find us on Apple music and also Spotify and please rate us, give us some stars and leave a comment if you like. Um, but thank you everybody for listening. All right, bye.